Welcome, welcome to another episode of the Bastards of Boston Baseball. We want to give a big shout out to any first-time listeners who are joining us for the very first time tonight. We're happy to have you aboard. For those of you who have been here from the start, you already know the drill. We live and die by this team just like the rest of you, and we make no apologies for that. I am your host, Jason Kelly, coming to you from Canton, Massachusetts. You can find me on Twitter at Color of the Iris. You can find the podcast account at Bastards underscore Boston. Joining me on the show tonight from the city of Reading, Pennsylvania, is Micah Storms. Micah, how are we doing? I'm doing good. It's much better coming off of a, a Sox law or Sox win, and you know, talking about the Sox. So I feel good about that. Um, unfortunately, you know, they score eight runs in two out of the three games. Felt like all three of those games are winnable, but uh, I guess uh, avoiding the sweep is at least a positive going into Tampa, but uh, it does feel like a missed opportunity. But I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Good to see a six-run six run eighth inning there. Yeah, a couple of late surges in this series, which uh, certainly made it interesting. Wish it could have happened more often, but hey, it's the way it goes. Um, joining us tonight also from the city of Reading, Massachusetts, is Nick Face. Nick? How are you? Is this a first? We have a Reading, Pennsylvania. We have a Reading, Mass. We get to the know, Battle right? of the Reddings right now. That yeah. is pretty cool. I didn't know that about Micah from everything. So it's where the best of the bastards of baseball go. Reading, Mass or Reading, Pennsylvania. Love it. Um, happy with at least getting one victory out of this series. Kind of surprising on how it went down. We'll take it. But I'm still left unsatisfied with how this team has looked, looks kind of sleepy, looks kind of lost. And now we have some concerns with um, some quality arms potentially impacting the Red Sox moving forward. So definitely a big series upcoming with Tampa and we need to cross our fingers. Yeah, for sure. Uh, some, some grim stuff coming out of tonight's game with uh Chris Sale having to leave early due to what was uh, described as shoulder discomfort. Um, you know, it came out later that, you know, Sale wanted to stay in the game, but Cora decided to proceed with caution. Sale is going to have an MRI on that shoulder. So keep your fingers crossed that it's just something minor and it's it's nothing big. But, uh, yeah, the, the win feels good in game three, but that was uh, – that was certainly a dash of cold water after that win, for sure. Um, but nonetheless, despite the win tonight, the Red Sox still dropped two out of three to the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, so on the midweek, we do our, our top five, or in this case, a bottom five for this series because it is a series loss. So we're going to jump right into that. And I'm going to lead off on this one and a little bit tough to put this guy on here because I, I love him and, you know, I think we all do. We all, you know, hope that he's part of a bright future here. But I'm going to start with Brian Bayo. Um, he pitched in game two of this series and, look, he was not awful. The stat line, you know, is is a little bit deceiving because he only gave up one earned run and, um, you know, really didn't do – the Reds didn't do too much damage off of him. I just felt like he was all over the place. He didn't look himself. His command was off. Um, he had to throw way more pitches than we wanted him to, to the point where he had to be pulled after four innings because he was already up to 97 pitches. 
And look, this is a guy that when he got sent down to Worcester, we all, you know, earlier in the season, we all kind of went, really? Come on. Like, you know, this guy's got to be in the rotation. He's got to grow in the starting rotation. And he's even said that. He said, look, I, I feel like at this point, my development will happen best at the major league level. And I agree with him. But this was a funky start for him. This Reds lineup is admittedly very pesky. And and we saw that these three games, they do not quit. They just, they keep getting, you know, that, that extra base hit, you know, in a, in a key time or, um, you know, they, they pinch hit at the right times. They've got some different kind of talent in that lineup. Um, so they are, they're a pesky team, but I just felt like Bayo was a little too cautious with them, a little too, you know, trying, trying to be too cute and it cost him. And Look, he only made it four innings. He doesn't get tagged with the loss in that one, but he came out in the fourth, and the bullpen, which we'll get to later, completely lost it, just a complete meltdown after that. So if Bale's going to be a big-time starter in this rotation, he's got to cut down on starts like that, where he's just a mess, and he can't find it, and the command's not there, and he's out by the fourth inning. You know, I mean, people around here complain about Nick Pavetta and Corey Kluber. You know, that was sort of similar. It, it was one of those starts where it's just like, this isn't good enough. So Bayo makes the list this week. I don't expect he'll be on the bottom five uh, many more times this season, but certainly not what you needed from him this series. Um, Micah, what are your thoughts on Bayo? Yeah, I agree with you when you said, um, you know, you complain about Nick Pavetta. I think the big difference is, is it feels like if Nick Pavetta has a start like that, there's five or six runs on the board and Brian Bayo only had one. So like he did leave the game, giving the Red Sox an opportunity to score and come back. Um, but he really set the bullpen up, especially in game one of the series. You hate to just have to use so many arms in that first game. Um, it kind of set you up for failure for the rest of the series. Um, I was curious how he was going to pitch um, because his previous start against the Angels, other than the two solo home runs, he really dominated that game. And I was kind of curious, you know, could he put back-to-back really good starts together? Um, And I just don't know developmentally yet if he's quite there yet to be consistent. I think he definitely has the, the stuff and the potential to shut down almost any lineup in the big leagues, but to do it consistently because he does not have the command yet of all of his pitches. Um, I just don't know if to expect that, you know, every start, I think that's a little unrealistic right now in his development. Um, but I think definitely they got to keep, keep throwing him out there every five days because he definitely gives them a chance to win every time out for the most part. Um, and that's what you want. Obviously you would like at least five innings, um, hopefully six innings, but I, I, I still liked what I saw. I like just how he competes. He, he gets in these tough spots, but he doesn't give in. Um, he could have easily given up. It, it felt like the, the Reds had five or six runs on the board. Then you look up and it's only one. So, I mean, I do think you kind of have to tip your cap a little bit to him for fighting, even though he did not have his best stuff. Um, but you definitely want to see um, some more consistency out of him moving forward because that is – um, probably the next step in his development as, as a starting pitcher. Nick. Yeah, the one thing that you look at from this start is that, and we said that I said this off camera before we started the show, could have been a lot worse. 
could have definitely been a lot worse for Bayo's start. He definitely got lucky getting out of some of the jams, I believe one of which, or two of which actually, were bases loaded jams that he ended up not getting uh, not getting any runs in. I believe it was the first inning, as a matter of fact. When the series preview began, I was looking at Bayo to continue to be, and I used the analogy of fine wine. I felt as if every start we've seen something from him that makes you believe it makes him makes you think that he's hit that peak where he's going to do something different to give us confidence as fans for him to be an ace of sorts. This one did not go that well. I appreciate his compete big time because he kept this team in the game. And that was the big thing that was there. If the Red Sox bats were alive in this game, absolutely, this could have still been a win or he still could have been in contention to at least be a no decision or whatnot before he left the game. It was the pitch count. You can't throw four innings and 100 pitches. Can't happen. That that command that he just didn't have any command from Tuesday night. So I'm going to chalk this up as one of those starts where we're going to forget about it. We're going to hope that the next one that he comes out and competes with he gets back to what he did against the Angels. And I like I look at the, the brave start that he had. The brave start that he had early on in the month. Of, I believe that was in May when we faced them. That was awesome. That was vintage-esque Bayo that we want to see. And as a young up-and-coming pitcher in this league, if that's the Bayo that the Red Sox get, we are finally going to be able to say that we have developed a pitcher in the minors that can come up to the big league club and compete and be somebody that we can count on because that's what the Red Sox so desperately need. And I was left, yes, unsatisfied, disappointed. Am I concerned about it? No, I am not concerned about it because I do think that there's bumps along the way with any of these young pitchers that come up. I think this was just one of them. And my expectation is that he gets right back on track and becomes and continues to be one of the best pitchers that the Red Sox have in their rotation. Yeah, I mean, like you said, he's he's a young pitcher. He's twenty three years old. Um, these starts are going to happen. He'll he'll have a hiccup every now and then. This wasn't even that bad of a hiccup. It was, you know, it was very minor. So, um, you know, a lot of people would would say he's twenty three. Be patient with him. There's another rookie we'll get to later who a lot of people are telling you to be patient with. I'm much more willing to be patient with Bayo than that guy. Um, but we'll get to that later. Um, not coming in at number four on the list. Nick, who do we got? We got Mr. Valdez, who is become the kind of de facto second baseman of this team. And he's had his ups, but he is definitely on the downward trend right now with how everything's looking for him. So over the past seven days, he's hitting a buck 67. It's unacceptable. And I know batting average is one of those things. We look at that stat. There's other things to the game that you look at, too. But the other thing that I'm looking at is the strikeout numbers are up. I see him getting exposed, especially in the game, I believe it was last night, where it was like a 12, 13 pitch at bat, one of those one of those situations. And guy from the Reds just blasted a fastball upstairs, and he went chasing and hacking. I like his compete. I like the way that he's learning how to become a major league hitter. He's falling off pitches. He's putting up 
at least a fight when he's up there. He's not just up there with the bat on the shoulder looking, oh, what's that pitch? So that's a plus. I just think that what you're seeing now is major league pitchers are starting to get to him. When you're in the minors, you've got a lot of development that you got to get through. So this stretch that he's on, I am not surprised with. I do think, again, this is in a way a stopgap for the Red Sox until we get some players back health-wise. You know, Trevor Story, Christian Arroyo, just to name a few guys there. And he'll probably end up going back down to Worcester. Again, he's going to kind of be a roster crunch when everything, when push comes to shove. But I do think when he does go back down to Worcester, he'll at least have that ability that he came up to the big league club, got some action, got some development, will continue to hopefully learn some things down in Worcester. And at some point again, maybe he'll get the call up again and shine when needed. But overall numbers, especially for right now, not great. Again, his average now down to 250 on the season, but the last seven days, that 167 coming up in big spots and just not getting the job done. You, you, you need to get something. You need to get some quality hitting that done in some of those situations. So that's, uh, that's my take on Valdez. Micah, thoughts on Valdez? When he came up, he had a 29.8% K rate in AAA, and it was kind of like, oh boy, is this going to be another Bobby Dahlbeck type uh, case or Jeter Downs? Like, are we going to have just a high K rate um, player here? And then we really didn't see that for a long time with him. And I think to his advantage, there really wasn't a book on him yet because no one had you know film on him i think now you're starting to see pitchers really make the adjustment to, to what he has been doing what are his strengths and they're really pitching to his weaknesses now uh the k rate is up to 26.4 percent going into today um so it's definitely been on the rise and we've definitely seen him probably press a little bit because he had a tough road trip um after that uh, home run in san diego um so i think he's starting to expand the zone a little bit more um, but in this series, he did go three for 10 with a walk and a home run. So it wasn't all terrible um, in this series. I do think he and a bunch of the other lefties really feel a lot more comfortable at home with the monster there. I think th they've grown to really trust to just let the ball travel and, and go the other way. Um, so, I mean, that's great for when you're playing in Fenway, but you play half of your games when you're not in Fenway. Um, but I, I do think he will probably be the odd man out when the roster crunch happens. Um, but he has plenty of work to work on still when he goes down to the minors. And I think cutting that K rate um, down is, is super important. We're starting to see that with Jaron Duran, um, the K rate going up. And when, when you're striking out 30% of the time, it just – it really prevents you from getting on base at, at a, an a elite clip um, so I, I really want to see the K-Ray drop with him and a couple of the other uh, young Red Sox hitters. Yeah, it's the strikeouts and the defense. That, that's really got to improve uh, for, for Valdez. And, you know, look, again, like you said, he was 3 for 10 in the series. It, it wasn't an awful series for him. It's just been an awful stretch. And to be perfectly honest, if it weren't for Kike's late-game heroics in Game 3, he would be taking Valdez's spot because – the first two games were a train wreck for him, but you know, things happen and he, he avoids it for now, but um, it's still kind of concerning the, the stretch that Valdez went on where, you know, he came up, he was, he was really hot. 
swinging a good bat. And now, like you guys said, pitchers are starting to figure him out. So I agree. I think that he's a prime candidate to go back down to Worcester. I don't think it's the worst thing for him. Um, he has a lot to work on, like you said. So, you know, you got a lot out of him when he came up and you needed him at the time. Um, after, you know, injuries to Chang and Arroyo and, you know, he really, he wasn't just depth. He was an impact bat for a while, but you know, the magic dust is starting to wear off a little bit and pitchers are figuring him out. So he does need some time back down in Worcester to just refine his game again, work on plate discipline, work on defense. I still think the guy can be a really good big leaguer and I don't know what his future is with this team or if it's with another team, who knows, but He's definitely got a bright future. He has a ton of talent. Um, he's just not quite ready yet. And that's okay. You know, again, this is why you make the deals that you make. This is why you trade a veteran catcher for guys like him and Will Urabreu, who all of a sudden, you know, look like uh, real pieces going forward. So it's okay. It, it's not a big deal, but I do think his days are numbered um, on the big league roster. So. Uh, moving on to number three on the list, Micah, who do we got at number three? Number three, we have Cutter Crawford. Um, he's been really good for the Red Sox this year, but the other night came in and he walked two batters, and it really just kind of set the stage for the Reds, gave them a lot of opportunities. Um, you know, when you come in the bullpen, you have to throw strikes and he's done that for the most part, but in an outing, when you only throw one inning, you know, you, you're, it's going to, you're going to be exposed when you don't throw strikes. And for Crawford, I think he's much better in a longer role. I think when you know, you're going to get a bulk out of him four or five innings, I feel much more confident in him than, you know, go get the sixth inning or seventh inning. I, I don't think that's where he fits best on this team um I, I was a little surprised that Winkowski wasn't the guy right away um after they pulled Paxton I thought Paxton for five and, and then I thought Winkowski for at least two maybe three and then you know see where you're at um going into the maybe the eighth inning I really thought that was the combination um but that's not what Cora did he went with Cutter and I just again I I think if you're trying to get bulk, Cutter's the guy. And I think we could potentially, depending on what the sale injury is, I mean, Crawford could be you know, used this weekend in a, in a, a starting role as a bulk role. Um, but when you come in relief, strikes are so important. We've seen it with Kenley um, when he's blown his saves. When you don't throw strikes, you just it opens up a can of worms, and that's kind of what happened to Crawford the other night. Nick, what do you think about Crawford? I was disappointed in the outing that he had on uh, for Tuesday uh, when he was in and it's the walks, the walks. If you're coming in and you're just walking the ballpark left and right. I mean, th you can't have that, especially for a guy that I still think Cora and Red Sox management is still trying to figure out what exactly, what role is Cutter Crawford going to be in? Is, is he a six, seven guy? Is he a long guy? Is he mop up duty? Is he a starter? I have to agree here with Micah that I like Cutter more in like a bulk setting. So whether it's a long relief, some, some sort of thing that's there, I just think we've seen pretty good, but not as consistent as like a Winkowski's been. I have to say, 
I also was surprised, Micah, that Winkowski wasn't the first guy out of the pen after Paxton's start. And I meant Wednesday night when this came. The big thing that I thought this series in particular, I thought, I think Alex Cora has been decent to okay as manager. This series, I thought he was asleep at the wheel, at least for Tuesday and Wednesday night. I thought he looked lost. I thought he looked like he wanted to be someplace anywhere else besides Fenway Park managing and made some very questionable managerial decisions that in some ways cost the team, you know, a couple of these games or wins or runs or anything like that. So you definitely kind of, I don't know if Crawford was supposed to be where he was supposed to be on Wednesday night in that role ended up not turning out well. And he ended up unfortunately going home with the loss on that one. Overall, with Cutter Crawford, I still like the guy. I like his compete. I'm still at that point where I still don't know where I feel most comfortable yet, where he enters a ball game. And I hope as June kicks in, that we kind of find a more defined role for who and what Cutter Crawford's going to be for this Red Sox team moving forward. So I have to confess, I'm not a Cutter Crawford guy. And it doesn't mean that I'm completely out on him, that I want him jettisoned from the roster and that I think he sucks. Or No, no, no. It's nothing like that. I think he's a tad overrated. Um, you know, I, I, I see him pitch and it's like, okay, decent fastball. Definitely attacks hitters for the most part when he's not coming in and walking guys. But I, I don't see anything special with Cutter Crawford and – you know, you guys were asking where where does he really fit best? I put him bulk roll mop up duty at best. I don't want him in starting rotation. I don't want him in high leverage situations. I want him either doing bulk innings just to kind of keep you in it, or for mop up duty. I th- really think that's what he is. Um, and it's nothing against him. He you know, good pitcher. You know, seems like a, a tough competitor. Um, you know, whatever, but I'm just not, I'm not high on him. I I don't, I guess I don't see what other people are seeing. Like when sale, you know, came out of the game tonight, people were saying, Oh, well, you know, Cutter's got to go in the rotation. Does he, that's your first choice. Cause I tweeted out. If you're picking guys out of that bullpen to slot back in, I'm going with Nick Pavetta first. And believe me, I'm not the biggest Pavetta fan on the planet, but between him Crawford, Kluber, and Winkowski. It's, I mean, obvious, right? I just, I'm not seeing it with Crawford. I'm not. So I, I'm not surprised that, you know, he had a rough outing. I know he's been pretty good for, you know, for most of the season, but I just, I think hitters are going to figure him out because I think he's easy to figure out. That's all. I'm just not super high on him. Something I just wanted to add is prior to um, him walking batters on Wednesday, he only had four walks coming into this into the, you know on the season. So that was kind of like an anomaly performance from him. Um, and I, I think h- how Cora uses him, you know, is he somebody that needs the the consistency? I know I need you in that bulk role, but I, I don't know if he can float from role to role 
and still be very efficient in that role. I'm not sure that he's one of those guys. I mean, I like the stuff, but he's still he's still a young guy. He's only, I think, 26. So he is he a guy that can float? And I, I wonder the same thing with Winkowski sometimes. You know, is he better when he knows I'm going to get the next three innings as opposed to I'm getting the eighth inning? Um, I think that's asking a lot out of a bunch of young pitchers that haven't really done that for a full season. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. And, you know, it goes to what sort of uh, Nick was saying about Cora this series. Just he wasn't exactly sharp either. There were some pinch hit situations that I didn't love in terms of how he timed them. Um, what you mentioned about the regularity, that was one thing that as much as the uh, three-man booth this series made me want to uh, jettison myself out a window, it was one of the few things that Tim Wakefield said that actually had some value which he doesn't give you a lot, but he gave you this one thing where he said, you know, when I was in the bullpen and Tim Wakefield pitched for a long time as a starter and a reliever, um, even a late inning reliever at times, which was weird. But, you know, he said, he's like, when I was in the bullpen, I didn't like having a lot of days off. I didn't even like having two days off in a row. He's like, I wanted to pitch at the very least every other day because I'd just be sitting there kind of in my own head and, it, you know, I'd kind of lose it after that. So, Maybe you're right. You know, maybe it is sort of how Cora's using it. And in Cora's defense, too, he's got three starters in his bullpen right now. I mean, that's kind of ridiculous that we're at this point. So, um, you know, I think he's navigating it as best he can. But, yeah, it wouldn't shock me if Cutter Crawford is kind of having a either a crisis of confidence or he's just kind of losing it a little bit because he's having to wait so long. So I think that's a fair point. Um, Nick, what did you have? Yeah, the one thing I was going to add, it was making me think a little bit about how this bullpen has been put together with your Crawford, your Winkowskis of, of, of the world. I think the Red Sox are in love with the fact that they got Garrett Whitlock into that spot. And I think that they're trying to hope that these guys get into that Garrett Whitlock mode and anchor that bullpen. And in a way, I think they're pumping, in particular, Crawford up. Kind of case in point with you, Jason, I'm not the biggest Cutter Crawford guy. I think he's better than Ryan Brazier and some of the other guys that you throw out there on a given ba- given night and given basis. But I don't think he sets the world on fire. You know, when Whitlock was in that pen, that was special. I felt like when he was coming in, he was going to get the job done. With Crawford, I flip a coin. Flip a coin. What are you going to get? You're going to get walks? Is he going to be on? Is he going to be off? It's too much of a question mark for me right now. And I think that the Sox are so in love with the fact that they can transform these rule five picks. Oh, here's another Garrett Whitlock. Let's pick them off this branch and put them into the pen and make it make magic happen. It's not that easy. It's just not. Well, it's also, it speaks to what happens when you don't have a premier pitching program, which the Red Sox have not had, I, I don't think, ever, quite frankly. Um, so you're, you're not going to do what the Astros do, where they just, you know, they draft a guy in the late rounds, doesn't work out as a starter, and they turn him into a nasty reliever. Or, you know, hey, we drafted this guy in the third round, and we molded him into a dynamite starter. Red Sox have never been able to do that. So, um, and, and the guys they've tried it with, it's failed. So I I think Crawford is just kind of another guy you throw in that bucket of like, all right, you know, Red Sox had him in their system, tried him as a starter, wasn't great. Now they're trying him as a reliever. Who knows if that's going to work? 
you know my feelings about Garrett Whitlock. He, he to me, put him back in that bullpen immediately because that's where he belongs. But you know, that's their decision. They're they're sticking with it for now. So you're gonna see more of these kind of relief outings out of guys like Crawford and Winkowski and even Pavetta um, and Kluber when he comes back from paternity leave. So um, we'll see how it works out. But I just don't have high hopes long term. The Dave, the Dave Bush pitching program. Yeah, so far, oh. eh, mixed results is what I'll say. Mixed I would say results, the same. To be kind, yeah. Um, sticking with that bullpen, Micah, who do we got number two on the list this week? Number two, we have Joely Rodriguez. And I'm kind of mixed on this one because, like, Cora brought him in in, in the seventh in, or the sixth inning, and there were runners in scoring position, and he got a lefty out. And I was like, that great. That's what he's here to do. And then Cora ran him back out for the seventh, and I was really surprised because there were lefties and righties mixed. And then he quickly started walking the ballpark. In the outing, he had uh, three walks. Again, you get exposed when you start walking batters, and he, he could not throw a ball anywhere near where he was trying to throw it. Um, but five earned runs. And for me, this was another uh, just complete head scratcher from Cora. You know, I'm not one to really criticize the manager. They have a really hard job. Um, and I, I know that potentially they didn't want to use some of their higher leverage arms like Winkowski because they have such a long week with the Tampa Bay doubleheader. But in my opinion, you have to win these games against Cincinnati. Like, this is a series you can't afford to lose. If you lose a series three out of four to Tampa, Everyone's going to be like, that's the best team in baseball. Okay. Like you lost a series, who cares? But you lost a, a series to Cincinnati. Another series you lost at home to the NL Central. That's probably the worst division in baseball, maybe. It's a, it's a bad division. And they keep losing these series. So going to Joely in the seventh inning there, and he clearly didn't have it after a, a batter or two. And then he kept him in. And and then the grand slam happened. It just it was frustrating because it was only three nothing going into the seventh. And yes, the offense had been struggling, but you're playing the Cincinnati Reds. They have a, a bottom third bullpen, and we saw what happened. Now, obviously, the, the circumstances were different because you know Cincinnati had a, a big lead, and there was a pitcher in the in the in the uh, the ninth inning when they scored all those runs that probably wouldn't have started the inning if it was close. It would have been Diaz, their closer. But giving the Red Sox a chance with nine more outs, I thought that was just a complete, absolutely terrible decision. I, I just I did not understand it. Um, I, it felt like Cora had no confidence in his offense to come back. And I just, again, it's the Cincinnati Reds. And you're throwing Joely Rodriguez out there, and then he walks two guys, and you still keep him out there. I think he threw like 38 pitches or something like that, something absurd for a reliever. And I mean, to me, Joely Rodriguez is a, a lefty specialist at at the very most, um, because last year he had a 4.65 walk per nine. So you know he's a guy who struggles with command. And if you start to see him struggling throwing strikes, you got to get him out of there right away. And Cora just let it ride. And then it was it was eight nothing before you know you really had a chance to go. Wow, how is he still in the game? Nick, thoughts on Rodriguez? Isn't it nice to have a new Ryan Brazier in the bullpen? Isn't it nice? 
nice to have a nice punching bag back out there where you can just be like, oh, why the heck is this guy on the roster? Like, what does he have to offer? The crazy part here on this is stat-wise looking at everything, he's only thrown in five games because, I mean, he was hurt and everything. But out of those five, he only has one of those five outings as a clean inning completely. No hits, no runs, no walks, none of it. Every other one, he's at least had a hit, a walk, or more in his outings. And that whole managing last night of putting him into the game and inserting him into that fun was probably Alex Cora's worst managerial move of the season so far. I have absolutely no idea what he was thinking. I don't know if he just wanted to give up and get the heck out of Fenway because he was done for the night. But even to have the guy just continue to throw 38 pitches from that wonderful debacle last night, that that was very eye-opening to me. I don't even think this guy's a long reliever. Again, he is a specialist. He should be in just for a lefty. And as Micah said, too, I mean, control-wise, I truly don't know what they see in him. If you got a left-handed guy out of your bullpen, you got to come in and throw strikes. I don't know what other role this guy would have outside of if you get a lefty and he walks him, get him out of here. But I really don't see a future for this guy here much longer. I think that once we start getting into the meat and potatoes here of the June and Julys, I could see him as a DFA candidate, no question about it. So that was definitely a blast off to the moon outing that he had last night. And, and my hope, is that we don't have to see this much longer from Yoli Rodriguez. So not much, not much more I can, I can uh, stand with this guy. Yeah, the issue is you're probably stuck with him because you need a lefty out of the pen somewhere. And unfortunately, unfortunately, the two lefties that you went out and signed both suck. Rodriguez sucks so far. Blair. Blair, Blair. Oh, God. And, and Blyer is, look, so they're, they're kind of opposite because Blyer is a pitch-to-contact guy, right? He's not a big strikeout guy, throws a lot low in the zone, relies on ground balls. That hasn't worked out. And then you got Jolie Rodriguez, who, when he was signed here, there were certain Red Sox fans in this fan base that acted like the Red Sox just signed Josh Hader. Like, oh, my God, this guy's nasty. Wait till you see this guy. He's unbelievable. He has a career whip of one and a half. Like, what were you expecting? This is not a dynamic talent. He throws the ball hard and he can occasionally, for the most part, get lefties out. That's it. You really didn't sign anyone special here. That's why he you only signed him for one year, two million. And that's why he was still out there for you to get him. Like, it's just, he's really not that special. He, he didn't have a great year last year with the Mets. Like you said, you know, ERA over four, whatever. Like, he's fine, but he's going to, you know, he's going to run into control problems. But I do agree. Alex Cora, too. Like, what are you thinking, dude? After the after the two walks, why don't you pull him? What Like, what are you trying to, to achieve here? And I really do think it's this thing that Cora continues to be imprisoned by, which is like, he's looking too far ahead. He's looking ahead to the Tampa series where he's got four games and four nights. And he goes, you know what? I don't want to burn 
my other, you know, elite relievers. So I'm going to leave Jolie out there to suffer. Well, that's great. That worked out for you. That just lost you another game against the effing Reds. So it's just, it, it's mostly on Rodriguez because I don't think that he's anything special. I can't believe that people like are treating him like he's just this nasty lefty reliever when he really isn't. He's league average at best. But it's also on Cora. You guys are right. Like the way that Cora handled that whole situation was absolutely ridiculous. Um, and just further speaks to him having a weak series as well. Um, Micah, what did you want to add? Um, just something to keep an eye on um, because, as you both stated, the terrible options they have um, in terms of lefties out of the bullpen. Chris Murphy tonight came out of the bullpen and he threw three scoreless innings. So I think that is somebody who, if he continues to work out of the bullpen, he could become a lefty option. And I think I would much rather see what that would look like than Rodriguez or absolutely Blyer. Either those two. Give me Murphy because I know he's got a weird arm angle and the stuff could play. I think that's definitely something Red Sox fans should uh, keep an eye on over the next couple weeks. Yeah, 100%. I mean, especially since, what, Murphy's 24 so and, and Blyer's 36. So, I mean, at this point, it's like go with a young kid who has, you know, something to prove and wants to make a major league roster as opposed to the 36-year-old who, you know, we know what he is at this point, and maybe he's just washed. Maybe he just doesn't have it anymore. So, I, I yeah, so, certainly something to keep an eye on because if not for Murphy coming up or a drastic trade, which, let's face it, this this GM doesn't do that, um, I don't see them getting any better lefty options out of that pen, which could be a problem going forward. Um, so with that in mind... Number one on the list, a guy who is going to be talked about a lot in the coming days, in the coming week. Uh, Nick, who do we got? I can't wait to aggravate the Bluminati this evening when we annihilate Tristan Casas. I am understanding of people trying to say that he needs more of a sample size. It's June 1st. You know, he's got to still prove his point, yada, yada, yada. I'm done. I am so done. I would rather see Bobby D come back up right now for a guy that he's been here. He's stunk up the house. I didn't have that much confidence with him from everything. But you got to also look at some of the numbers. And people can say, oh, it's Worcester. It's oh this, oh that. I have to give Bobby D credit. He went down on May 16th. And ever since he's been down, he's been raking. He's batting 377. He's got a 811 slugging percentage. Seven homers, two doubles, 16 ribbies in 14 games for Worcester. And he's a guy that's showing versatility that I think can also help this team right now, whether it's at shortstop or first base. Casas is a one-trick pony to me right now. He's up there, and he doesn't have a clue on what he's going to be able to do. I think that the game is in his head right now. And I think a mental timeout of going down to Worcester and figuring out that swing of his and figuring out how he can be a major league player and take the pressure off a little bit. We'll do this guy a world of dividends right now. Am I throwing the towel at Tristan Casas right now for his future? Absolutely not. I am not. But what I am doing is giving him a timeout. And that timeout is to go down to Worcester, get yourself 
in rhythm, get yourself set to establish yourself as a major league player who was a big time or still is a big time prospect for this team that needs to needs to show everybody why everybody has believed in him. His month of May, everybody was saying, oh, his month of May was pretty good and everything. He ended up hitting 257. That's okay. But it doesn't say wow, and it doesn't scream wow to me right off the bat. His OBP was 338, and his slugging, which was the one that I was most disappointed with for the month, was at a 429 pace. I don't know about you guys, but as, if, to be a first baseman in Major League Baseball, that's not going to cut. So my initial take right now on what I do is, yeah, I do bring up Bobby D, but I think that also helps with shortstop a little bit. Honestly, I try my best to hopefully you can get Justin Turner to play maybe three out of the seven days at first base of sorts. You're going to have Adam Duvall coming back with the injury and everything. So he's going to have to find playing time. I just think Casas too is going to be, is going to become the odd man out when you start getting all these guys coming back in, you got to play the hot hand. And right now, Kike Hernandez and Tristan Casas outside of Kike's wonderful solo home run to tie the game, uh, or to put the put it ahead, was it, I think it was two to one. Kiki had a terrible series overall too. So those those players right now, they got to start being more consistent. They got to start proving it. And right now, Casas to me, big disappointment. And I I need to make a change. Micah, I feel I have the opposite of kind of your thought process. I definitely hear what you're saying. Um, I usually I like to think you give as guys that you really believe in you give them till Memorial Day, um, but I really think as two fifty seven that's not a great um, it's not going to set the world on fire. But I think there were improvements from April to May that makes me believe he's starting to get comfortable. I do think he is kind of stuck with: am I trying to draw walks or am I trying to be a, a run producer? Um, and ironically enough, when he swings at the first pitch, he hits 273 with a 591 slugging. Um, but when he doesn't swing at the first pitch, he hits 158 with a 257 slugging. So like for him, that's like an identity crisis because he is somebody who really likes to work counts. But when he works counts, he ends up swinging probably at more pitchers pitches and that, but that's what he wants to do. He wants to, you know, get on base with walks. But it, his approach hasn't really worked yet. And I'm not saying he should abandon his approach because being able to command the strike zone and get on base via walks is super important. But we, we the Red Sox do need him to drive the baseball and drive in runs. And I think he needs to still make that adjustment where I need to attack the baseball more in um, in the zone. Uh, Bobby D, I, I cannot get behind bringing Bobby D back up and expecting him to be a run producer. I know he's he's done everything he's been asked to do. Uh, he's gone down to AAA and he's he's been terrific. But every time I and I've been a Bobby D supporter in the past, but every time I've tried to to buy in, oh the glasses now are going to be the the fix. Um, it, it it just he's strikes out looking all the time and it's like what are we doing like this is your moment and you're watching strike three go by 
Um, and I think if the Red Sox are talking about him being about Dalbeck being a solution at either first base for the next couple of weeks or even shortstop, to me, this team is not serious in competing. If that is a, a, a true um, potential solution right now. And I know they're in a stop. It's kind of, they're kind of waiting for story to come back and Duvall's close. But if you're relying on, Bobby Dahlbeck for a week or 10, 10 games. I, I don't know. And especially with the, the next two weeks when you have the Rays and you got the Yankees coming, I, I don't have any confidence that Bobby Dahlbeck can hit Tampa Bay pitching or Yankees pitching. I, I, I don't know. I'm not saying Casas can either. Um, Cause I, you've listed your concerns. He was 0 for 9 in the series against a, a Reds pitching staff that I really thought he would have an opportunity to take advantage of, and he didn't. Um, I understand the argument of, of sending him down to, to AAA and get his swing right. That might be what's best. Um, but I, I do think there was enough growth from April to May that still makes me believe he can keep figuring things out at the big league level. Okay. It's time for the the Tristan Casas rant. I've been a little down on him lately. I haven't gone full blast on him because it was still April or it was still May. I still think Casas is a good player. Um, I still think he can figure it out, but I've had enough. Particularly, I've had enough of the Tristan Casas narrative that surrounds him, which is this sacred cow thing that for whatever reason he just cannot be sent back down to Worcester and if you even suggest that nope you're an idiot you get the excuse of it's still early it's not it's June 2nd as of when this episode's going to be released it'll be June 2nd so it's not still early um I get the baseball is hard no crap baseball is hard well wonderful analysis there from the Procasas crowd. Baseball is hard. Wow. Oof. Must have taken a long time to come up with that one. Um, and then it's, oh, he'll figure it out. It's almost, it's been almost three months. How much longer do you want to wait? It just, it, to have a black hole, which is what it is at first base, because I'm sorry, don't talk to me about the main numbers. Well, did you see his main numbers? Yeah, he hit 257. Woohoo. We. Oh, that's great. 257. Wow, that's going to put you right in the playoffs. Yeah, there we go. Awesome. Cool. We're in there now. No, it doesn't do crap for you. So I don't care that he hit 257 in May. He still hasn't figured it out. And like, why, why did all of a sudden getting sent down to Worcester become like a death sentence for a player? It's not. It just means that he's not ready and he needs more time. And you're going to have a situation in a week where Adam Duvall is going to come back. And once Adam Duvall comes back, you have to play him. And right now, you can't bench any of your three outfielders. So you're looking at a real scenario where Duvall comes back, that DH spot becomes maybe a rotating outfielder spot. And like Nick said, you hope that Justin Turner can hold it down at first base. And then you send Tristan Casas down and you let him figure it out. Because that's what he needs. Like Micah, you said it. He's the, it's like he's inside his own head. He's great when he swings at the first pitch because, let's face it, pitchers know that he wants to take pitches. So they throw a fastball right down the middle because they know he's going to take it. And then they go, okay, I've already got you down 0-1. Now I'm going to throw you a bunch of slop, and you're going to be in your own head, and you won't know what to do with it. So 
he has to figure that out. He has to figure out how to balance being a patient hitter, which believe me, that's great in the major leagues. You want to be a patient hitter, but when you're too patient, pitchers are too good these days. They figure it out pretty quickly and they go, yeah, no, just throw him a fastball right down the middle. He's not going to chase it. He's not going to go after it. So he has to figure that out. And being sent down to AAA is not the worst thing. They sent Jaron Duran down. And look at him now. Such a better player, right? The Seattle Mariners, Jared Kalenic is a great comp to Tristan Casas. Jared Kalenic was their number one prospect. that The number one guy that they've been waiting for for years. They called him up in 2022, and he sucked. He couldn't hit his way out of a paper bag. You know what the Mariners did? They sent him down in May. They sent him down to AAA. They called him up a few times throughout the year due to injuries, but for the most part, he was in AAA. He only played 50 games in 2022. Jared Kalenic now in 2023 is hitting 277 with power. He's not all the way there. He's not like you know Julio Rodriguez level yet, but he's so much better than he was last year because the Mariners were like, you know what? You're not ready. That's okay. Go down to AAA, figure it out, get yourself sorted. Instead of keeping him up in the big leagues and letting him flounder around at the plate and continue to see his batting average drop and kill his confidence. So this idea that it's like blasphemy to suggest that Tristan Casas be sent down to Worcester. No, it's not. Not at this point. Maybe in April, it would have been overreactionary, right? Sure, I agree with that. Maybe even in early to mid-May, it's overreactionary. Fine. It's June now. And I'm sorry, like, the Red Sox have to decide, are you going to be serious contenders this year? Or do you just want to be a bridge team that, that builds and you don't want to contend? Which is fine, but just let's, let's decide. Because if you're going to be the bridge team, then sure, keep Casas up there a whole year. And he'll finish the year hitting 193 and, you know, maybe it sets his development back. I don't know. But if, if that's what you want to do, fine. But if you want to contend, you've got to figure out first base. Sorry, you do. And, and I agree with you, Micah. I'm not a Dahlbeck guy. I know he's tearing it up in AAA right now. I know the temptation is there, but we all know what's going to happen once he comes back up to the big leagues. He's going to be called strike three every single time, and that's about it. The only plus to a Bobby Dahlbeck call-up right now is that he plays good defense. You know, he, He's always been a good defensive first baseman, but that's really it. He's still just as big of a black hole in that lineup as Tristan Casas would be. So they've got to figure something out. And a roster crunch is coming, whether people want to acknowledge that or not. Duvall and Story are on their way back. So they're going to have to figure something out. And I'm sorry, I'm just, I'm done with the whole, you've got to be patient with Casas. No, you really don't. You can send him down. He's still young. He's still 23. It's okay. His career's not going to be over if you send him down to Worcester. Like, it's okay. He can figure it out down there, and maybe he comes back, whether it's later this year or even next year, and he's a monster because whatever was going on, something clicked, and he figured it out. I just don't understand why that is such a, like, a blasphemous thing to suggest. So they got to do something soon because – the Tristan Casas, like, just keep throwing them out there every game experiment is 100% not working. Um, do you guys have any other 
final thoughts on Casas uh, before we move on? I was just going to say it was wonderful on Wednesday night to see that Turner was actually in the lineup and Casas did not play. Tuesday night's game, I don't know if you guys remember with the ninth inning and everything, I actually tweeted out something that I got a pretty good interaction on. I go, bold take. And this, t- this tweet was put in before Pablo Reyes was, I think he pinch ran for somebody at third base. I said, I legit would have rather had Connor Wong or Pablo Reyes hit before I let Tristan Casas take another at bat tonight. That's the truth. Because going into that, I at least know Wong or Reyes will probably put the contact on the ball. Casas was, I think at the time, 0 for 4 before he struck out and ended the game and went took you home 8-7 or whatever the heck the score was. So I think fans are starting to kind of get over that hump where, okay, maybe he isn't what we expected he was going to be. And I, I, I would have 100% would have rather had that option up there to at least try their best to tie the game at least and see what you could do from there. Mike, any follow-ups on Casas? Yeah, it's interesting because Cora almost gave him a vote of confidence like a week ago, um, where he was like, you know, we're we're still we're liking what we're seeing. And then if you pinch hit for him in the ninth inning, there, I feel like you're almost contradicting yourself. But I do agree with you. He was zero for four, and the at bats on Tuesday night were not um, necessarily quality at bats. He didn't have great swings, and it does feel like when he doesn't have a good game of at-bats and he's put in that big moment late in the game, it's almost like he doesn't have the confidence in himself to, to come through in that moment because he hasn't experienced it yet at the big league level. So it's understandable. He's 23 years old. Um, I think my biggest question is with a guy that is super patient like Casas is um, at in the minors with, you know, uh, young pitchers who are often wild, how does his development kind of continue because you you want him to keep being super patient. You don't want him to start expanding the zone, but in triple a, that's probably what's going to have to happen or he's going to have a 25% walk rate. And it's, I I do think you're going to get to the point with Casas where the only way he's going to finish his development is at the big league level. And that might not, go hand in hand with the Red Sox winning right now and Casas' development. I don't know if they do, um, but I, I don't know if going down to AAA is the answer. It might be. It might That might be what he needs. He might just need to keep working on his swing and come back in you know, a month or two, and he, he's much better. Obviously, it worked for Kelnick. It's worked for other guys. But I do think because many Red Sox fans thought, oh, this is the guy we've been waiting for that – if he goes down to triple a because he wasn't successful, I, it is going to be like a narrative of, well, there's another, you know, position prospect. Uh, this was blooms. One of blooms guys, you know, not that he drafted him, but this was supposed to be part of blooms core. And I do think it's going to be a negative narrative that, that is um, started. But again, you also can't kill the kid's confidence if he really is struggling at the big league level. And I think, I mean, I, I like what I saw in May, as I stated before, um, but it's a fine line. It's a fine line because the Red Sox should be trying to win still. It's only June, and they're two games over 500. And if he's not the best solution at first base with Duvall coming back, then he shouldn't be 
at the big league level. He should be sent down because he needs regular ABs, and you put the best nine out there, um, at least for now, because they should be trying to compete still. Yeah, and, and the point about the what the narrative will be is is fair because let's face it, this is Boston. Everything is, you know, going to be put under a microscope. And yeah, if you send Tristan Casas down, a lot of people are going to say, "Well, there we go. There's another bust." Um, but the Red Sox have to decide: do you, what do you care more about, real doing what's right for the player and doing what's right for your team, or the narrative of the fan base? I mean, at that point, the decision's easy. Um, but what you mentioned earlier, they do have to make a decision in terms of, you know, what do you care more about in 2023 specifically? Do you care more about the development of guys like Casas, Bayo, you know, your other young players, Duran, or do you care about winning? Because, you know, one of your young guys is not performing right now. And believe me, if Jaron Duran starts to go backwards, I'll say the same thing about him. Like, you know, maybe it's time to send him down, which they did earlier, and it worked. So it it goes, it, it applies to every young player, but they are at a tough crossroads because they're trying to compete and develop at the same time, which is probably the hardest thing to do in Major League Baseball. So um, we'll see what happens with Casas. We'll see what happens on June 9th if and when Adam Duvall is ready and he gets activated and he comes back because – Whatever the corresponding move is after that, and whatever the lineup looks like going forward after that, I think will tell you a lot. So uh, we at least have another week of uh, waiting on Casas and Duvall and to see how that all plays out. Um, so with that being said, before that, we've got a pretty daunting series coming up. The Tampa Bay Rays are coming into town for a bit of an odd four-game series, uh, four games in three days. Um, thanks, Major League Baseball. That's fun. Um, so we're going to get into that series uh, starting on Friday night, and this is all according to ESPN. Um, we've got Garrett Whitlock going for the Red Sox against Tyler Glasnow, who has just come back for the Rays. So, Micah, who do you like in game one? With how good Tampa has been, it's tough to pick any game that the Red Sox are playing the Tampa Bay Rays in, uh, especially with Sale not starting. And, you know, Paxton, I would say, has probably been their second most consistent starter over the last three weeks. Um, Glasnow is filthy. I know he only is, he only made one start, but the stuff, he just, how can you not buy the stuff? Um I think with this series as a whole, I think a split would be absolutely lovely. Um, but in terms of Friday night, I, I can't pick against Glasnow um, and the Rays. They, they, they have 40 wins already. And I, I think they're on pace for like 117, 118 wins, something like that. Just crazy. Um, I don't know if Whitlock – I mean, he, he got blitzed in Tampa Bay when he came off the uh, IL in his first start. I think he gave up three home runs against them. So it's kind of uh, hopefully he can get some revenge and he comes out and he, he throws like he did in Arizona. But give me glass now. I don't love it because I'm picking against the Sox, but I, I got to pick the Rays on Friday night. Nick, who do you got? I think because we're seeing just the early beginnings of Glasnow that you could not – 
or you might not be able to see him as sharp as he traditionally has been in his career. And I want to build off of Garrett Whitlock, his start in Arizona that he just came back from and everything. It was a pretty good start. It was five innings. I do think that they're trying to protect him. I don't think they're going to see him going long or deep into these starts whatsoever. I don't look at this as a win for Whitlock. I look at this more as a no decision. I think this is going to be a game that comes down to the bullpen here. And I'm going to give the Red Sox the upper hand in this one. I think that this is, if any of the games in the series, I think Whitlock's going to keep them right in this game for Friday night and give the chance, give the Red Sox a chance to get a victory against the Rays. The other thing I want to mention on this too, the Red Sox got pummeled, pummeled the last time that they faced Tampa. The Red Sox want a fighting chance during this season. Better nut up and you better show up on Friday night. Otherwise, it's not going to be a pretty be, pretty, uh, pretty game and pretty season-long series here against the Rays. Yeah. Um, if anything, the Red Sox are catching Klasno at a good time because he is just working his way back. Only made the one start. That was against the Dodgers. Went four and a third. Gave up three runs. Did strike out eight against that lineup. So, um, but clearly the Rays are taking it slow with him. So that's good news for the Red Sox that you're not facing Glasnow at full strength just yet. Um, that being said, it's Glasnow who's a real starter against Whitlock who's a fake starter. So I'm going to take the Rays. Um, it's, again, I can't, I, I'm not going to get off the Garrett Whitlock thing. He belongs in the bullpen. He's not a starter. Um, I expect Tampa to get to him. The only chance the Red Sox have is if they pounce on Glasnow early and they get him out of the game early because Tampa is trying to protect him because, let's face it, Tampa, with the record start they're off to, should be thinking World Series, you know, playoffs and beyond, that kind of thing. So if the Red Sox pounce on Glasnow and get him out of the game early, get to that Tampa pen, which is also kind of gross, but if they can sort of work through some of those Tampa relievers, maybe they have a shot, but... I don't think so. I'm taking Tampa game one with their real starter against the Red Sox fake starter. Um, so that brings us to game two. Saturday is a scheduled doubleheader. One of the weirdest things I've ever seen. Again, thanks a lot, Major League Baseball, for forcing that on us. Um, game one will be at 110, and we've got Tanner Houck going against Josh Fleming. Uh, Micah, who do you like in game two? Fleming, I believe, is kind of used as a almost like a bulk guy, like a three-inning guy. So I think this is an opportunity for the, the Red Sox to get one. I think Houck um, struggled his last start out, so hopefully he can turn it around, have a good start. I, I like their chances. I like the offense to have probably the, the best opportunity to put up a crooked number against this Rays pitching. Uh, give me the Sox in game two of the series. Nick, who do you got? I'm going to take the Red Sox in this one with Hulk. I long lobbied for him to be a part of this rotation. I have this thing about him every time that he goes out in the mound that he needs to prove it. It's not so pretty the last time that he was out. Of course, this is one that you need to knock Tampa right in the mouth, knock him down. And this is an opportunity for him to get it done when you have a guy going up like Fleming who is going to be – uh, their opener per se. He's going to be out there for you know maybe two, three innings. That's about it. This is the chance for the lineup to also deliver and get a job done 
and get the win. So I'm going to go Hulk with the win for Saturday afternoon. Make it three for three. I'm going to take the Red Sox in game two as well. Um, Tanner Houck was a guy I was iffy on. I kind of had him and Whitlock as two guys I want back in the pen. Unlike Whitlock, Houck is slowly convincing me that maybe he can be a starter. Um, the only thing I'll say is I hope the manager doesn't get in the way here because they are facing a lefty. So I don't want to see one of these stupid Alex Cora left-handed lineups where, you know, suddenly Verdugo is sitting and Ref Snyder's leading off and Devers is sitting and he's got Tapia hitting cleanup or some stupid crap like that. I, I do worry about Cora. Whenever I see a lefty on the schedule, I'm like, oh, he's going to do something stupid with a lineup because he's overly matchup heavy and he just – he has like this fear of left-handers. I, I, I don't get what it is, but um, hopefully Cora doesn't get in the way and Hauk pitches well. I think they can jump on Fleming early and uh, pick up the win. So I will also take the Red Sox game two. Micah, what do you got? I want to prepare you, whether that means you need to go get an adult beverage because with it being a doubleheader, I could absolutely see um, the matchups being played, um, given a guy like Verdugo, maybe game one off. I could totally see it. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but prepare yourself, have whatever you need by close by to, uh, to help you get through that ma potential, uh, matchup lineup. Ah, it's such a good point. Yeah. Saturday's Saturday's going to be a day drinking day, uh, up here in Boston. It's yeah, it's so true because we do have game three at six ten that night. There's no scheduled matchups on ESPN, so we're assuming that that's going to be a opener bullpen game. Maybe the Red Sox throw Cutter Crawford in there. I don't know who Tampa throws in there, but let's just assume it's going to be a bullpen slash bulk guy kind of game. Micah, who do you like for game three? I would say it probably comes down to how does the Red Sox lineup fare against the previous two um pitchers you know are they able to get Glasnow out early into that bullpen and then what do they do with Fleming and the rest of the bullpen in game two if they really get into the Tampa bullpen I like their chances um but I by no means will ever pick the Red Sox to sweep a double header when Tampa Bay is 40 and 18 right now so I think the best case scenario is a split um since I picked the Red Sox in game one I'll take Tampa in game two Nick who do you got uh, there's no way they're going to get the whole, whole two, two wins on Saturday. There's no way. And I also was thinking, too, this could be scary. Could this be Corey Kluber coming back from the paternity list? I'm sorry, guys. I have to say it. Oh. I have to say it. <laughs> but that might – you know how they like to do those stupid kind of things. And they also get – don't they get the extra man for doing the doubleheader, too? Yes, they do. So, depending upon who they're going to add to the roster for both those games, probably makes sense. I personally would rather give it to Nick Pavetta. I'm not the biggest Nick Pavetta guy, but I think what you've seen from him after he's gone to the bullpen and pouted his way basically there, he's actually been half decent. I haven't had any issues with Nick Pavetta, you know, when he's been out in the bullpen. So, I'd give him the opportunity if they're really going to go with a TBA kind of starter. I give the I give it to Nick Pavetta, but here's the thing: I don't give him the win. No, 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 no. I think Tampa gets the win for um, the Saturday the Saturday um, 
matinee, not matinee, the Saturday evening game. So just a matter of who they're going to pitch and my money's, my money's on Nick Pavetta. I just, let's not have it be Corey Kluber, please, please. Yeah, please God, let it be, you know, Nick Pavetta. It, it, if, if it's Corey Kluber, uh, Saturday won't just be a day drinking game. It'll, it'll just be an all day drinking fest and I'll be passed out by nine o'clock. Hopefully when Kluber's already given up seven runs. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm taking Tampa game three. This is kind of what they're built for. They're built for these openers, bullpen games, like weird lineups, you know, that they're, they're built for it. They're used to it. Um, so I just, I don't think the Red Sox are, I don't think the Red Sox depth is as good as people thinks. So, um, it, Give me Tampa game three. I, I think that there's no way Red Sox take both games with a doubleheader. Um, so with that, series finale will be on Sunday at 1.35. Um, the Red Sox have Brian Bayo scheduled to start against Taj Bradley of the Rays. A couple of uh, young right-handers going at it here. So, Micah, who do you like in the series finale? This is a futures game for the AL East here, a futures starter matchup at least, um, as I expect both of these guys to be good for a long time. Um, I think the Red Sox having, I believe they faced Bradley in his debut back in Tampa. Um, he threw really well, um, but I like that they at least seen him. Um, I like that Bayo is coming off of um, a subpar outing. I think he bounces back. Give me Bayo and the Sox to split the series 2-2. I'm going to be optimistic. All right. I like it. Nick, who do you got? I'm going to sip the Kool-Aid here as well on the same deal. It is no doubt Bayo has to come out and shine. He left that game so unsatisfied with the performance that he put up and was disappointed in himself. You could see, you could absolutely see that. Disappointed he had the high pitch count, had no command, only four innings. Again, he got lucky because he didn't get up too many runs. It was just one, not too much damage. But this is this is the game where aces are made. This is their chance to shine. And it's the best team right now that's in your division right now, the Tampa Bay Rays. Nothing better than shine, you know, showing up and shining in an outstanding start for Sunday. So I, I, I am hopeful that Bayo gets the job done. The big thing on this is is the matter of will the offense show up in this one. I, I'm not going to go super crazy on this. I don't think he gets the loss. I think this is a no-decision game. I don't think the Red Sox will get the win on Sunday. I'm going to go for a split on this to keep it even keel. And it's a nice recovery start for Bayo on Sunday after the clunker of this uh, against the Reds this, earlier this week. Well, you're not going to get me sipping the Kool-Aid. Sorry. Um, you don't get to drop two out of three of the Reds and then have me saying that you're going to split with the best team in baseball. So um, I got the Red Sox losing the series finale. Um, I actually think Bayo will pitch well. Um, I just think Taj Bradley will as well. And I do worry about, you know, again, uh, four games in three days, what kind of lineup is Alex Cora going to put out there? Um, who's he going to rest? You know, what kind of weird decisions is he going to make? Um, I just don't have a ton of confidence in the manager right now to navigate a weird sort of four game series like that. So I've got the race ticking three out of four. Um, I, I just think that they're going to be better prepared for it than the Red Sox are. So, 
Um, so with that, we will wrap it here. Um, stay tuned for our Bastards Roundtable episode. That'll be coming out on Saturday. We'll be talking some trade deadline stuff. Still a little bit of a ways away, but never never hurts to uh, start diving into that a little bit. Um, and then after that, the weekend crew will have you guys on Monday morning, and they'll be recapping this very important Tampa Rays series. So, uh, Micah, Nick, thanks for joining me tonight, and uh, we will talk to You're everyone. Welcome. Yeah, we will talk to everyone later. Take care. <laughs>